Welcome. Welcome to Conversations in Compassion. This is a attempt on my part to demonstrate compassion and empathetic conversations in an effort to resolve the discord that's in our families and neighborhoods and community to focus in on some of the most important issues of our time as a world and as a global community. And so I'm trying to demonstrate that kind of conversation. Each conversation will be fresh. It'll be every other week. And they will focus on the individual and how to bring the story alive. It'll be a little different because it's not an interview. It's really meant to be a conversation in compassion. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Today, I'm talking to a dear friend, uh, Rodney Masha. Rodney and I have been together since 1989, and he's a musician and a black man, and you'll be touched by a story. And what I want you to do, though, is to notice the conversation between one white man and one black man, and just to hear how we dance together. Thank you for listening, and please... Just notice the dialogue and the content. Thank you for being here. Rodney, thank you. You're welcome, Steve. Thank you. I really would love to hear how you see yourself now in your life at 70 years old. Ah, okay. Well, it's interesting because I've been thinking a lot about that. You know, as you will soon find out, uh, 70 is kind of a milestone. <laughs> and when I turned 70 last year, uh, I really started taking, assessing my life, you know, my past and what was going to happen in my future. And, uh, and it all got changed around the spring uh, with the advent of the Black Lives Matter and all of the stuff that's happening in the country. And I was kind of forced to reassess my plans and even how I see myself as a black person now. In the past, I haven't really talked a lot about race. I haven't really put myself out as a person who is really involved in, in movements. I've been sort of internal. Uh, and the stuff I do express, I express through the music as opposed to, you know, protesting or even speaking or writing about racism. And I feel that's changing now. I feel an internal shift uh, in myself as a person of color, as a man who was born in the Deep South in 1949, who experienced uh, racism in a much more direct manner than people do these days. I was actually called the N-word, and I sat in the back of the bus, and uh, I had to sit in the, ba the back of the movie theater. I couldn't go in the front door, all that kind of stuff. I experienced in real life. It was not history to me. And so in looking at my life going forward, I see myself getting more involved and being more of an educator, not in terms of this is what you need to do, but just in terms of sharing my own experience. I also have, I think, a unique perspective, being, being the age I am, and coming from where I am to being where I am. There, there can't be much more of a difference than rural Louisiana and Maine. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, as you know, we've talked about this before. I've, I grew up in an all-black town. Mm. At least my part of the town was all-black. Mm -hmm. And Maine, as you know, is the whitest state in the union. Mm. And so I often sort of reflect on, wow, <laughs> how did you end up here? Mm. But I do believe that all things happen for a reason. And I think one of the reasons I'm here in Maine is to, you know, be who I am and present myself as a black person and offer whatever wisdom and knowledge I can. 
from my experience. You, you've uh, you've been touched by what's happened. Oh yeah, by Black Lives Matters in a different way than you'd ever expected, and it really wants you to tell the story now, so that people understand. Yeah, the town I was I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, but I was simply born there. Uh, not long after birth, clearly I don't remember this. My parents lived in a town called Norco, Louisiana. N O R C O. It was about twenty miles up the river from New Orleans, literally on the banks of the Mississippi. As you went out our front door and turned left, you could see the levee. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but the town I grew up in, like I said, it was called Narco, Louisiana. And the name of the town was even an acronym for New Orleans Refining Company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you looked out my front door, the first thing you saw was a chain link fence and a chemical processing plant that mm-hmm. went on for acres and acres and acres. And about five blocks on the other side of the town was the oil refinery. Mm-hmm. So the the town was sandwiched between the oil refinery and the <laughs> chemical plant. It was the kind of town that you smelled long before you saw it because there were smokestacks, mm. you know, spewing out all kinds of noxious stuff that was actually killing people. Mm. Uh, they actually made a documentary about it. Mm. Uh, but my, my upbringing is interesting because uh, people say, wow, it must have been really, really hard, you know, being in a segregated town back in the 50, early 50s and all this stuff going on, and you couldn't go there, you couldn't go here. And uh, my memory of my childhood was not like that mm-hmm. uh, because I was insulated. Right. Because everybody around me was black. <laughs> right. uh, I went to school with all black kids for 10 and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them were related to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so my childhood memories around race were not particularly bad, they were not traumatic at all, frankly. And, of course, I was aware of things going on, you know, just from watching TV and listening to the radio in terms of uh, the civil rights movement, you know, in the early 60s especially. Uh, But in terms of being touched by it, you know, directly, uh, I was kind of insulated. Mm. I I really was. You you lived in this town where the smell was so bad and— but it didn't really, it was life. It was yeah, what you yeah, knew. Yeah, never thought about it. <laughs> you never thought about that the way the two refineries were doing was mm-hmm. actually hurting people's lives and reminding the black families that they don't matter. And it didn't matter to yeah, you because yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah, it it just was, was like breathing. Right, right. And you, you had this kind of noise that was something going on. Oh, yeah. Like the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And... It it was it was kind of weird. It didn't really make a lot of sense. And I'm just curious about when it started to make sense to you. Well, it did make sense, uh, but it, my experience was that it was outside myself. Like, mm. this is something that's happening out in the world, <laughs> mm. uh, but it's not really happening here because it wasn't. Where I lived, there were, there were no pro- protests. There, mm-hmm. you know, there, that stuff wasn't happening. I literally learned about it from watching TV and watching, you know, stuff that was happening in Selma and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Dr. Martin Luther King was, you know, mm-hmm. the man. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't—it didn't really affect me directly, but it obviously uh, affected my thought process and thinking about myself. Many years later, I realized that the biggest negative result of my upbringing was my uh, self-image. Mm. Uh, I— You've heard the song I wrote called All of the Science Say the Same Thing about the lack mm-hmm. of you know black role models growing up for me. But when you're in that environment and everything tells you that you're less than, yeah. Yeah. it's well not, not hard not to absorb it. It's impossible <laughs> not to absorb it because the whole culture 
is around the fact that you are less than. <laughs> yeah. Everything you see on TV, uh, everything you hear on the radio. There was no black dentist where I grew up. <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, the person we went to as a dentist was apparently a veterinarian. I found out many, many years later. <laughs> oh, and oh, and uh, he didn't do, do anything except pull teeth. Mm. Mm. There were no fillings. There was no mm. braces. All he did was pull rotten teeth, and I had mm. a lot of rotten teeth. Mm. Uh, so that that whole aspect of it, you know, it it affected me. Mm. And it and for many years in my life, my you know, again, we've talked about this before. My guiding principle was to make people help people like me. <laughs> mm. Mm. Was to not not do anything that was you know negative or make people think, oh, you know, <laughs> mm. I don't like him or mm. you know. So I modeled my whole personality as an adult around being liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Rodney's mm-hmm. a nice guy. You know, Rodney's a <laughs> cool, mm-hmm. cool guy. And uh, mm-hmm. in a way to trying to manage that self-worth right. that you said that was sort of, was to, to get people to like you and then almost, uh, you know, give up whatever soul, whatever is important to you yeah. to be liked. Right, exactly. Yeah. And another part of it was just, you know, not really, again, expressing my true opinion about things because my opinions might not be shared by everybody. Mm. So I tended to be quiet in a lot of situations where I, mm. in retrospect, uh, should have spoken up. And again, that's part of what's going on, going on with me now. This is a continuation of that uh, feeling like, like I really need to speak up because uh, this is the time. If not now, when? <laughs> as the saying goes. As you, as you, um, there, and this is an opportunity actually. Mm-hmm. And I thank you for that. Um, you, you, you can see that there was a, you know, a thousand little times where you could have said something, but you chose to be liked because of that whole diminishment that was happening, the systematic training yep. that was yep. said, you don't matter. Yeah. And is even more insidious than that because the training said that where I grew up, uh, not being liked could get you killed. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't simply a matter of a psychological uh, disadvantage <laughs> or a psychological injury. Uh, you know, black men in the South in the 50s, you know, <laughs> if you said the wrong thing or even went to the wrong place, uh, it could be big trouble. I, I recall as a kid, uh, I don't remember how old I was, maybe six or seven. Uh, my bedroom was right next to the kitchen. Uh, our bedroom, I should say. There were four boys sleeping in that room. <laughs> mm. uh, and uh, I remember my mother talking to a friend in the kitchen, you know, after we, we were supposed to be asleep. I wasn't. And she was talking about a guy, I can't remember his name, who got lynched <laughs> mm. Uh, mm. because he went to the wrong part of town. He was drunk, and I can't remember his name, but mm. I remember hearing that, and that sort of, whoa. And I remember having nightmares later said, wow, that could have been me, <laughs> you know, or in the future, that could be me or, you know, just the whole idea that somebody could be killed for being in the wrong place <laughs> uh, really made an impression on me. And again, so being in the wrong place is akin to saying the wrong thing. <laughs> and so if being in the wrong place can get you killed, so can saying the wrong thing. <laughs> so the best strategy you figured out was to be invisible. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. invisible. Yeah. And to not really have many needs mm-hmm. and don't drift to the wrong side of town right? in every circumstance mm-hmm. that you're in. Yeah. And that this time in our lives, this time where people are sacrificing themselves to say black lives matter has made you kind of say, I, I got to do something. I got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I got to shake it up. And I wondered how people have treated you now. <laughs> Well, it's kind of interesting because, like I said, being here in Maine, <laughs> and I when I 
I was thinking of the irony of trying to not stick out in Maine. <laughs> right, right, right. a black man. But it's interesting, once, you know, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement start, was regenerated, I should say this, uh, yes. in the spring, uh, I, I sort of became the go-to black man <laughs> for some people, some friends. And, and I, I, don't, I don't mind it, but it was just, it was actually very touching because people started reaching out to me uh, and wanted to know how I was. And, uh, and at first, I, I was kind of resenting it, mm. to be honest with you. I was like, mm. well, where, where were you before? But yeah. then I, you know, I realized that was just my mind, <laughs> you know, trying to do whatever my mind does. And, and I started responding, and, and it was, that's when I really realized that the role I could play. Mm -hmm. uh, because there aren't a lot of black people in Maine, and most of the, the white people I know don't know a lot of white black people, uh, uh, except for me. Mm -hmm. And so whatever relationship we, ha we have, uh, they, they wanted to sort of ex extend it and to reach out and to really know how I was doing. And uh, I was re really touched by that. Mm -hmm. uh, and like I said, that was part of uh, my recognition that I had a wider role to play. Well, and, that, and, and that's the place where you realize that you have some space to tell people what it's like to be a black man in a culture that oppresses black men and kills them. Yeah. And uh, if there was something you wanted to say, you know, I mean, really truly say, mm -hmm. since we have this opportunity, what would that be? Well, I guess my main message would be keep going. Mm. Keep going. Mm. Uh, you know, again, being the age I am and having the experiences I've had, I've seen movements start before. Mm. You know, we were, I was a hippie in the, in the 60s and 70s, and we were going to change the world, and the government was going to change, and we were going to, you know, do this and do that, and peace, love, and understanding. And that didn't happen. Right. Uh, you know, there were fragments that continued, and some things changed. Holistic health came out of that. <laughs> a lot of things came out of it, but there was never a real revolution in terms of the government or in terms of the way uh, marginalized people were treated. Mm. It, mm. In fact, from my perspective, it almost got worse. <laughs> you know, we, we weren't, I'm going to say we weren't lynching at people anymore, but that's not even true. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's not true. Right. We still are. But uh, yeah, that would be my main message. Don't let up. And that's why I've been sort of heartened by the fact that this is a world worldwide movement. It's not just like in one place or it's not just on the college campuses or it's not just mm. black people protesting in LA or Flint or whatever. Mm. It's it's a uh, Worldwide universal movement. Uh, people in all countries are protesting on behalf of Black Lives Matter. And my hope and prayer is that the momentum that we have uh, continues and that it just doesn't peter out. It, yeah, it's beautiful because you can, you can feel, because of your age, you can feel these false start movements yep. that die out and, and they actually get worse. And you can feel that... Um, we, we do this, we move a little forward, we maybe have holistic health, but then we end up with a gap of resources where some people have billions and other people can just barely get by on a yep. minimum wage and can't even get health care and can't find a night to sleep in a, in a safe place. And, 
and that people have been marginalized by the virus, you know, mm. that, that it's impacted yeah. black, it has impacted marginalized people more than anyone else or the opiate epidemic or mm-hmm. just, just ways in which we're not moving forward. We're actually looking the other way for the dying, which is a different kind of lynching, but it's still lynching mm-hmm. people's lives. Yeah. And your hope is that we keep moving, we keep going forward. What would that look like? Ah, well, it would just look different. <laughs> you know, so I don't real. imagine all the people <laughs> living life in peace. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it's not utopia. Uh, yeah. And what I think it does require is a change of consciousness. Mm. You know, my belief about life is that everything starts inside. I don't believe that racism is something that we're born with. Mm. It's something that we're taught. Mm. And... What I see is that the younger generation, being born at the time that they were born, they have a very different view uh, mm. than their, the generation before them mm. uh, or the generations before them. They are much more likely to, you know, because of the internet, they have exposure to all kinds of culture, all kinds of people. Uh, my kids used to play video games with kids from China, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. Yeah. we never had that. So my, what I envision is people simply recognizing, frankly, this stupidity mm. <laughs> of racism. <laughs> yes. Uh, how counterproductive it is, not only in any physical or financial sense, but in the heart sense. Mm. Uh, it mm. eats your heart away. <laughs> mm. uh, and that's why I, you know, one of the, you know, we all, we all talk about Trump. <laughs> mm. And I have lots of friends who are, you know, most of my friends are, well, Pretty much all my friends are liberals, <laughs> Democrats, and, you know, they talk about Trump this and Trump that. Uh, I have so much pity for him. And mm, mm. maybe com- pity is, not, you know, compassion, mm. but it feels more like pity, frankly, because <laughs> mm. I try to put myself in his place and be in his body and be in his consciousness. And what would, what's it like to not be able to feel compassion? I, he seems to be just unable to feel it. I've never anywhere seen him laugh, <laughs> mm, mm. you know. Wow, how can you live your life without laughter? <laughs> right. And right. Uh, so, again, you know, my vision is that uh, things just continue, and as people become more and more conscious, and that's happening with the, the movement now, uh, that the institutions will start to change uh, because they, they call it institutional racism for a reason. Right. Uh, it's set up like that. You know, it's, a, it's in the fiber of the yeah, institutions, like, yeah. it's in the fiber of the way we deal with people. Yeah. And and what you're really interested in is that we're not going to be able to tinker outside and just tinker with buildings right. and policy and, and even laws, mm-hmm. although they might help. Mm-hmm. What we're going to do is to try to go inside and work with the heart and focus yeah. on the heart yeah. and do our own evolution before we even speak to another human being. What yeah. What is going on with me? Mm-hmm. What is my racist ide- ideology? How, how do I not react to people but actually provide compassion to people? Yeah. And that you would like that from leadership as well as mm-hmm. uh, everybody doing that kind of work. That's keep going yeah. Yeah. to you. It's the heart matters. Yeah. And uh, you, your, your prayer is that it's for everybody. It's universal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what country or your view of the world, that you just drift into that heart yeah. and that you see another person. And you use Trump as an example of if you see somebody that just bothers you a lot, mm-hmm. th- that the goal here is to have compassion for them. 
And even you can feel like it's hard to do because I start to have pity instead of compassion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it is part of my spiritual practice, which mm. is really the foundation of who I am. Mm. Uh, I don't talk a lot about it, you know, in public, but I, I feel it. And uh, it's funny. And I believe that the core of spiritual practice is to learn to accept things that you find a, have a hard time with. And not even accept them, just to sort of let, let them pass through you. Mm-hmm. Just to be aware that they're just another, that whatever is happening is simply a thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. And I find for myself that what's important is how I react to them. I, used, I had the spiritual practice, which I still do occasionally. I try to see how long I can watch Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beautiful. <laughs> I turn on Tucker Carlson and I see how long I can I can stand to watch him before I just want to strangle him, frankly. <laughs> and uh, I don't do that anymore because I'm not there yet. <laughs> but so I right. aspire to be able to watch the whole Tucker Carlson show without wanting to kill him. <laughs> gotcha. Then I'll know I'm, I'm enlightened. <laughs> and now you're up to 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, right. It's exactly. beautifully said. But in the story, and in the story that you just said, this is beautiful, which is, how do we lean into the difference? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what keep going is, (laughs) right? Keep going means you're going to have to lean into the difference. It's not just a cry that black lives matter. It's, It's how are you personally going to lean into the conversation with the difference? Mm hmm and that we're going to change or shift things. And what what you're saying is that's inside work first. Yeah. And then it's outside work in a conversation and and as you said education and learning and teaching and teaching people what it's like and Yeah. and hope that people are open to hearing and almost demanding. Yeah. Uh, in a way to kind of say because they're knocking at your door right now, you're kind of saying, "Well, since you're here, thank yep. you." Yep. Is- and <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about yeah. what it's like. Yeah. With that Michael Jackson song, Man in the Mirror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that. Mm-hmm. I'm asking him to change his ways. <laughs> yes. Yes. We got to change ourselves and yeah. then we can talk about, you know, then we can talk about how to be in connection with each other. And when we see each other as humans that we can connect with from heart to heart, yeah. then we see a movement. Yeah. And we see... There's not a division between those who have and yep. those who have not, or yep. those who are black and those who are white. Yeah, we we start to shift it. Yeah, and and it's hard work. Yeah, you know, I often think about you know if I were say a white conservative in Florida or Texas, what would it take for me to look beyond that? And I don't know. And again, in a spiritual sense, I have to accept that their lives are a part of their spiritual growth <laughs> mm-hmm. and that what they're experiencing is what they need to experience on this planet. And I'm not, I can't really judge that. And that really helps me in terms of, you know, my developing compassion Yeah, to recognize that uh, I, I can't judge their lives. I can't judge their beliefs because their beliefs are just thoughts. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're just thought patterns. Mm-hmm. Just like mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like mine. And, uh, but where it starts to, be a problem it, when it manifests in policies mm-hmm. that harm people. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, and blocks people from right. having resources right. and making sure that people don't have opportunities. Right. And, and then, um, you know, doing the war on drugs and putting thousands and thousands and thousands of black men yep. in yep. prison yep. Uh, in, in 
over and over and over are just policies that mm -hmm. really, really drive people into mm -hmm. the place where they're marginalized and then angry, uh, and mm -hmm. if not angry, uh, doing what you did, which is, I'm just going to be liked here. I'm yep. going I'm, I'm yep. to drift into the, yep. I'm going to drift into the wall. I'm going to, if people say anything about me, they're going to say I'm nice. Mm -hmm. But there's something changing in you. And, and part of that is I'm, I'm not going to be just nice. Right. I'm oh. going to knock at your door now. Yeah. And that conservative person that's my neighbor, I'm not going to avoid him just mm -hmm. to be nice. I'm going to ask him to be in relationship with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do that with great compassion. Well, in honesty, I'm not at that point yet. I'm not <laughs> knocking on a door, but I'm answering when they knock. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's probably a, a more apt analogy to where I am. Right. And, you know, I'm working toward knocking on a door just in terms of speaking out, you know, say on Facebook or writing songs that, you mm -hmm. know, uh, talk about that and yeah. talk about my life. Yeah. Uh and, and you just said something that's really valuable. I think we didn't really capture today, mm -hmm. but you have been trying to say this for a long time. Oh, yeah. And you have done it in music, and you've written some songs and uh, that really try to uh, rise people's consciousness yes. to a higher level. Um, they're so, and, you know, they're so powerful, and they're really from your heart, and they're stories. Yes. You know, and... Uh, and that's one of the ways in which you have made a, an impact. You, yes. You, yep. It was hard to kind of say it to people like, right. I see your racism. Right. <laughs> so what you did was say, right. I will do music mm -hmm. that says, I see your racism. Yeah. And it's, it's quite beautiful music. And I, I wonder, you know, as we kind of begin to fold out a little bit, where can people listen to your music? Because it's, it's very powerful and it speaks... Just Google Rodney Mache. I'm all over the place. <laughs> the first thing that will come up is my probably my Reverb Nation page, and I have a uh, YouTube channel, but it's it's all there. <laughs> and you can Google it under Rodney Mache, M A S H I A. And like I said, all of the the music will show up, and pretty much everything else in my life <laughs> I put on Facebook. So <laughs> my Facebook profile is public. So. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to know about me, mm -hmm. it's there. <laughs> but recently, you were part of a concert uh, around Black Lives Matter. Yes, at the State Theater. At the State Theater, yeah. and uh, and that that was a m a moment where you move you stepped into sort of the limelight of I'm yes. a black man. Yes, and I, I wondered what that was like for you. Uh, it was very powerful in retrospect. <laughs> uh, Interesting because when I was doing it, we did it a week before they actually showed it. And so I did it to an empty theater with maybe two or three people, the engineers in there. And it was very strange uh, doing it that way because I had never, you know, I, I played to at least dozens of people, <laughs> not hundreds sometimes. Uh, and so to play to an empty theater, it was kind of hard to get the energy, but I because I didn't know where to look. <laughs> mm. So I eventually just pretended there was an audience there. And I had no idea how it was going to turn out. But when I saw it, it was very, very powerful. If I do say so myself, I was just, wow. Because mm. <laughs> uh, I recognized that that thing happens to me, that happens to me sometimes when I'm playing. 
that I have this experience of watching myself from outside myself. <laughs> mm, mm. Uh, and I was like, wow, who is that guy? <laughs> mm. And it was just very, very gratifying to to have the kind of response that it got. Because mm. uh, I felt like, yeah, okay, I've made a contribution mm. and, I, and I'm going to do more of this. Mm. But it was, it was very, very powerful watching it, especially, you know, uh, with my partner and some other people who were watching it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, we did a good thing here. <laughs> you know, and again, as we kind of summarize this, mm-hmm. you know, just, just the idea that you've gone from, I'd better not be seen. I just better be nice. Mm-hmm. You know, I just better be liked. And I'll, I'll kind of try my best uh, in a white culture to kind of, go into the background and not mm-hmm. really challenge anybody and to to a night uh, a moment where mm-hmm. you are everything you want to be and you're saying what you want to say mm-hmm. and you're saying see me and see me as a black man see me as a person with these heartfelt feelings about uh, people and places and things yeah yeah and uh it, it must have been when it was over <laughs> knowing you the way i do yeah it must have been an amazing sort of moment in time where you're just like, wow, what a growth that I stepped into that rather than away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was what was wonderful about it was because it was a stretch and it wasn't. Right. Uh, because I perform all the time. Yeah. But I rarely perform for a cause mm. that's directly related to me. I've done tons of benefits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For all, but tsunamis, mm-hmm. every, you know, every, mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to do it for a, a cause that is so close to my heart, it is my heart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was just gratifying in a way that I nothing else I've done has been. Right. Uh, just the whole context and the fact that there were so many, well, that there were people playing ahead of me who were sort of carrying on the theme and uh, and it was just beautifully put together you know just technically it was sort mm-hmm. of whoa my guitar never sounded that good <laughs> <laughs> thank God for the sound engineers yeah, yeah we, we have one here we're gonna thank God for him <laughs> yeah. who probably try to erase this but we'll keep it in there thank you Tanner I, I just really um I'm just really touched by the boy that was in, you know, that small town, mm-hmm. you know, where you really didn't matter. The, even the air mm-hmm. uh, was there to kill you. Yeah, and did kill a lot of people, including yeah. my mother. <laughs> yeah. And the Levies weren't safe. And everything was about you don't matter To to a moment in time where I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to demonstrate I matter. I want you to hear my voice. Yeah. I want you to hear my music. And all original pieces and, you know, just kind of being you. Mm-hmm. I can just imagine the gap between those two, that, that boy playing, not knowing there was anything different except for there was something different. There was something different, and it was that you didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I said uh, earlier, I reflect on where I came from. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, wow, how this, did this kid, mm. you know, <laughs> raised on the banks of the Mississippi River end up, you know, in Maine, you know, singing at a Black Lives Matter concert. <laughs> uh, well, and, and other aspects of your life yeah, that yeah. you and I, you know, you and I have the pleasure of sitting yeah. with men and yeah. asking them to do the work of their heart. And yes. we, we do that every week. And yeah, we do. Uh, you're, you're deeply in love, uh, you, you know, with your own partner and I trying am. to love all the time and think about that and having two children and trying to love them all the time. Mm -hmm. and, you know, that there's a long way from smelling the chemicals to, you know, being a lover yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. of, of men's lives and yeah. of your partner's lives and your children's lives mm -hmm. and other people that you come in contact with. Yeah. Yeah, we all have, I have our stories. Actually, I actually sort of marvel at your life, too, a lot of mm. time, knowing where you've come from and your experiences, you know, mm. as a child. Mm, thank you. I, I think that's one of the things that binds us. <laughs> well, we do know the marginalization <laughs> process and yeah. the oppression of it. And, and I, I, I just, you know, I feel blessed as part of this process that, uh, you know, I get to hear yours and your story. And, and I, I'm, you know, as I leave this podcast, I will, I will take away, you know, the two things, you know, the one of, of laying at night, you know, and mm. hearing your mom whisper about a man that uh, got lynched, you know, and how that created nightmares and created a way of living your life um, that was, I'm not going to get lynched. I'm going to melt into the background and be liked. Yep. To the, to the man that says, I'm, I'm going to tell you my story, and so if you're going to knock at my door, you're going to hear my story, mm. and you're going to hear what matters, and I'm going to ask you to keep going. I'm going to keep going and keep going, and don't stop. Don't stop trying to find the heart and the compassion and the empathy. So I really appreciate you today. Thank oh, you thank for you. this. I thank you for the opportunity. It's been cool, man. <laughs> yeah.